0: Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So we, uh, we were obviously at the home opener and we got these pretty sweet uh, Red Wings rally towels. And uh, it's Detroit Red Wings, big letters, and uh, five players standing you know, as they do for, like, the Anthem at the blue line. And, of course, it has the Bertuzzi, Larkin, Raymond line. Last season, they deserved their place on there. And it has Mo Sider, called a winner, you know, best player for the Red Wings last season. And then it has Philip Peronick. I have nothing against Philip Aronik. But tell me why, after everything they went through last season, that was not Jordan Osterley or Danny DeKaiser on that towel. They deserve that damn spot. They were asked to play first-pairing defense when they, we, the Red Wings, my dog, everyone knew damn well that that shouldn't have been their role, and they still did it to the best of their ability. Did it always go well? No. But hey, they didn't ask to be put in that position. Much like me, I didn't ask to be born. But here we are. I think the least that could have been done would have been to put Osterley or or DeKaiser on that towel. I'd I'd have put Ole Olevy personally. (laughs) Oh Oh, no, man. When, uh, when the notes that I got for you, when the Red Wings picked him up on waivers, we talked about this on the podcast, but the fact that multiple, you know, prominent people in the sport were used the phrase, not NHL caliber, I went, Ooh, well, at least we got hope. It's a brave new world, which went about as well as Yolevi trying to turn 180 degrees on the ice. Speaking of 180 degrees, whoa, the Red Wings from the Chicago game to uh, to this one against Anaheim, that was a big turnaround. Massive. Which I'm grateful for because recording these late night episodes aren't fun as is. And to do that after a loss would have been tough. So thank you, Red Wings, for for winning. We take that as a personal... Uh, you did us a personal favor. Um, a blowout victory against the Ducks was much needed.
1: It uh, went from... 2021 Red Wings to 2022 Red Wings in a span of three days there is what it felt like.
0: Yeah, we're going to get into it. But man, after the the Chicago game, I was like, it's pretty not confused. There's just a lot going on in terms of how, well, first of all, how the team played. It, It called a lot into question, but then just, you know, how people were reacting to how the team played. And I don't think, I don't think anyone was wrong, but I was like, Whoa, this is foreign. Like we haven't had this in a while and it all ties into expectations, but that's a, that's what the Red Wings signed up for.
1: I don't know if it's about expectations so much as, I know this word gets thrown around a lot and probably way too often these days, but the trauma of the past <laughs> few seasons just quickly rises back to the top.
0: When you see a game like that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That'll look old fears. And by old, I mean like from April. <laughs> I I literally very
1: briefly sent out a tweet tonight be, based on previous seasons and the Chicago game that I immediately deleted because I'm like, nope, can't put that out into the atmosphere where I send something like, ah, time for the Red Wings to face their biggest foe. A third period
0: lead. (laughs) The Red Wings in the third period. I'm just like, nope, delete. We're going (laughs) to, we're not dealing with that. Thank you for not jinxing it. Because that absolutely would have been a jinx. Yeah, a thousand percent. Like it, I hit send and I went, nope, jinx. Yeah. Gone. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, uh, and much more. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. And I'm Evan. No, no, that's Brad Crisco. (laughs) Evan's not here. uh, Taking... Evan's spot, actually sitting in Evan's chair is myself and uh, sitting in uh, my chair that I usually sit in is the Mark Stahl 1000 Games sunglasses t-shirt. Uh, so hopefully uh, you like his contribution. Thank you, Mark. Forever Red Wing. I felt like that is the best energy to capture when Evan's not here. Big, big Evan vibes. On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, we are going to be recapping the last two Detroit Red Wings games, which have, uh, have generated quite a bit of buzz for vastly different reasons. Uh, we're going to be talking about, you know, specific players. How did uh, Raymond perform? How did Kopp and Zadina perform on that line with him? Uh, what happened in the Chicago game that caused that collapse? Uh, we'll be talking about uh, how the Anaheim game went just a couple hours ago. Uh, Dominic Kubelik and his continued stellar play since joining the Red Wings. Uh, special teams. Amazing tonight. Uh, the PK, perfect to start the season. Power play. You know terrible before tonight, but tonight was phenomenal. Uh, Huso, Sherat, Peron, their contributions and some notable statistical records uh, that haven't been seen in some time for Detroit. Uh, and then we are going to be talking about oh, we're gonna love this one the reverse retro jerseys. They dropped as we tease at the end of the last episode, they are indeed red and black uh, versions of the barber pole. So, uh, Brett, oh, oh, something dropped. <laughs> Brad, credit to you. Last episode when I was talking about it without outright saying it, you kept your composure and you saved you saved the entire we'll call it a discussion between you and I for today. That's a good radio host. Yep. Uh and then it, we'll be taking it's ta- all it's all about
1: building the suspense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then we'll be taking a look around the league. But before we do that, I first want to let you know about Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. Folks, we are less than a week away. It is Saturday, October 29th. Uh, DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your tickets by popular demand. We have added more uh, in various sections of the the lower bowl, and there are more available in the upper bowl. The gondola is completely sold out. Those are discounted tickets to the game. So you get a special Winged Wheel podcast discount courtesy of the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, You get access to the pregame live episode recording featuring Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond. That's at Hockey Town Cafe. There's going to be merch, Prizes, giveaways, meet and greets. In addition to the pregame meetup, you can get food and drinks there. Uh, and then you're going to be sitting, obviously, in Winged Wheel podcast-specific sections all throughout the LCA. Afterwards, we're going to keep the party going at Harry's Detroit, right nearby the arena. Uh, it's a really, really great time. Uh, Evan's actually off tonight, just in his energy chamber, building up the uh, the mental fortitude for the amount of signatures and smiles he's going to have to display. Uh, on that night but it's a really great time and the most important thing here is that a portion of the proceeds from each ticket sold benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So we really want to maximize the amount of tickets that get bought through that portal DetroitRedWings.com WWP. Uh, you're supporting a great cause. It's a great event. It's a lot of fun and we really appreciate our friends at the Detroit Red Wings for uh, this continued partnership. So get your tickets today. It's not too late. Okay let's Jump into. Let's jump right into what happened on the Red Wings' uh, visit to the United Center for Chicago's home opener, which was a game that was looking altogether really good for Detroit. Coming into the third period, they had a three-one lead. The only tally that that Chicago had was off of Andreas Athanasi's stick, actually, which was kind of interesting as a Red Wings fan. Uh, And I want to talk about that shot, too, because I know there there are some complaints about the way Ned handled it. And I'm sure he wants it back. But anyhow, the the Red Wings went into that game with a 3-1 lead. And then what happened? So before I get into
1: what happened, I think there's a few things we need to lay out first before past traumas jump back into our head here. One. The NHL and hockey in general is very random. It's the most random of the major sports. Good teams play bad. Bad teams play good. The Arizona Coyotes beat the Toronto Maple Leafs this week. The Seattle Kraken beat the Colorado Avalanche this week. Hockey is very random. And on any given night, any team can win. The Red Wings have a new coach, new systems, new players. We're five games into a season with a whole lot of things being new. So, with that is going to come a little bit of structure issues, a little bit of chaos, a little bit of strategy changes and mentality changes from what they must be, they've probably been used to. And through five games of the season, the Red Wings have had a very cupcake schedule. They have played exactly one playoff team from last year. That was it. So, all of that should be in the back of everybody's head. For this entire conversation, I should say, uh, this entire episode. But now that that's sort of the way and you get into the specifics of it, what happened in Chicago was what happened to the Red Wings for the last seven years. They got complacent in the third period. They stopped pressuring. They sat back and plainly got outworked. The Hawks took it to them. And by the time the Red Wings realized what was happening, it was too late. And then the overtime goal, that's a fluke. Like there was nothing, players bobble pucks all the time. It's just that much more prominent when it happens in overtime and it leads to a goal. So obviously nobody feels worse about that than Lucas Raymond, but that's a one-off. Nobody should be worried about that. What everybody probably should have had some concern with was the old habits, the fire drills in the D zone. The blowing a third period lead, the just seeming complete lack of any structure throughout that period, which was my immediate concern because I'm like, they've got another bad team coming up and this is where a season can kind of turn. Yeah, you start strong and then you lose to a team like as devastatingly awful as the Hawks are going to be this year, and then you walk into Anaheim, who I think was one three and one or something like that going into this game. If you lose that game or you have a similar performance, that's the type of thing that can kind of determine how your season is going to go. Like it, that's a bit of an overdramatic statement, but like you know expectations shift. So obviously we know how the Anaheim game went. So all those concerns got squashed pretty quickly, but yeah, so I'll just shock it up to a new team with a new coach having a bad night
0: on the road. I really liked what you said before about, um, hockey is a random sport that didn't matter for the last, however many years, for the most part, because of exactly what you just talked about, you know, the Red Wings had really bad habits, which led to them being, and I think the scientific term is a god-awful hockey team. So those random games, the Red Wings weren't even in it in enough games for the randomness to really hurt that often. So I think the really kind of poignant thing that stood out to me after that game, when I was watching the response, uh, both from us and you know the fandom was, oh, right. Those expectations that we ourselves preach on this podcast, that fans and us and all of Detroit has hockey town has for the Red Wings that translates into you are now stepping in the r- realm of those random happenstance a random bad call bad puck luck you know one of your best forwards bobbles the puck and, and Raymond hasn't been perfect this season I, I should say um, now hurts you enough where it means something it has weight so I'm not trying to be this happy-go-lucky everything's positive and when it's bad it's good kind of podcast host. not at all but it <laughs> if you look at it I'd rather be here than where we were last season. So let's just look at how the game went along. Uh, the Red Wings started <laughs> Soderblom, Rasmussen, Sundquist, um, Sherratt, Sider, Ned on the ice. Excluding Ned, who's a, a, a paltry six feet tall. Uh, the average height of those starting five was nearly six foot five. And they weighed about just a shade under 227 pounds. There was a, an ice level mic during the Anaheim game that uh, caught someone or a ref saying to someone, uh, you're tall, but you're not that tall. And I was like, I oh, could be anyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Red Wings open scoring with a uh, a shot that a Hague shot that actually bounced off of Pugh Suter. So that's Hague's first point, Suter's first goal of the year. Uh, and then Dylan Larkin uh, was in the slot to pick up a uh, a Kubelik chance, and he was just in the right place at the right time, fired it through a Sunquist screen, and put Detroit up to nothing. Athanasiou had that penalty shot. One thing about the penalty shot, it was the right call. The ref, you know, it was a hook on Athanasiou's hands. It was enough to impede the shot. It was the correct call. I have seen, I think, probably the last 10 opportunities that have been similar for the Red Wings and none of them have been called a penalty shot. It might not be none, but it, that's what it's felt like. I would like that standard applied across the league. Athanasius' penalty shot was actually really good and Brad, as a, a forward, you really appreciate it. He went from fake shot to fake Deke kind of half stutter and then when it looked like he was going to pick the puck up to it for Deke again kind of it was this weird follow through on a shot and the result was what looked like a routine shot and Ned didn't even move he was frozen and let me just say Ned doesn't like the fact that he was frozen no one's saying it's good that he was frozen or he's like I ah, had nothing I can do he'll want to have read that better but, man, that was an expert-level kind of little juke from from Athanasiu. That was really clever. Athanasiu
1: scored on penalty shots and shootouts with that um, exact move while he was with Detroit. So, like, people who don't remember how effective that move was for him uh, must have short memories. But I wouldn't call it a deke. There was nothing about that that was a deke. It was the perception of an impending deke. It was deception yeah, that froze Ned because the whole point of that Athanasiu stutter step timed with the pullback is to make Ned or the goal, whatever goalie, to think, oh, that's a fake shot. Here comes the deke. But then after this first step, when you think he's transitioning his foot for a deke, he just shoots it. So the pullback with the step no shot comes. Every goalie in the world is going to go, okay, this is the fake shot to get me to bite for the deke. So I got to be on my toes for a deke. And then by the time that thought process is finished running through their head, the puck is whizzing by them. Yeah. So there, there's no, nothing fancy about that. All that stutter step does is throw off the goalie's timing. But when you're in a one-on-one situation and you throw off the goalie's timing, congrats,
0: enjoy your goal. Man, I can think of a Red Wing who, who could use that kind of deception on the shots.
1: Yeah, we're not. Nope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, also in that period, really scary moment. Larkin got kind of, it was like a half a shove from behind by uh, Murphy on Chicago. Um, Max Bultman on from the Athletic Detroit put it well on Twitter. It was like a reverse tabletop. Like Basically, Murphy shoved him when there was uh, a player lying right in front of Larkin, so Larkin tripped over him. Landed awkwardly and I don't know if, it, if it's how he braced himself with his arm or maybe his the butt of his stick hit him in the ribs, but it looked like his side, like his core. Um, and he's just coming off core surgery. Uh, he was in a lot of pain, like excruciating pain. Uh, he left, he went right to the room and I was like, he's got to be gone for some time. Like this does not look good at all. He was bent over on all fours it, and you heard him like scream in pain on the ice. Yeah, he was back out there. He Came back out to start the next period. I'm no doctor, but I have a theory. So given that he had surgery,
1: I think we know he has scar tissue. I had in the front of my shoulder when mine came out a lot of scar tissue. And just periodically doing the most random things. Because Larkin didn't look like he fell all that hard. And there were points where I did something with my shoulder, not strenuous or didn't hit it a piece of that scar tissue broke up. Cause even in physio, they acted, they actively tried to break up the scar tissue. Like in physio, it was excruciating. They told me they were going to do it, but it was obviously for my benefit. But yeah, I would just be like making breakfast in the kitchen. And then all of a sudden I'd be double over in pain because I moved my shoulder just in the right way to break up some scar tissue. So if that's what happened to Larkin where he just fell on one of those spots and some of it, like you, I can't describe the pain. It's, severe it lasts for a bit but it goes from severe to just really effing annoying pretty fast like in a span of like 10 minutes but it sucks when it happens and again I'm not saying that is what happened to Larkin I'm just saying I have had very similar uh, experiences and timelines in doing something similar to that so for Larkin's sake I hope that's what it is because breaking up scar tissue is actually good in these scenarios, even though it sucks at the time, um and he didn't look any worse for wear in the Anaheim game tonight. So
0: for his sake, I'm hoping that's all it was. You're not a doctor. you just play one on a podcast. so he he came back, um, which was a pretty surprising. And even after he came back, I was like, I think Lalone said he's in pain still. And I, well, he played the Anaheim game and did great. So whatever it is, he's able to play through it. I just hope that it's not serious. But for a little a little while there, I'm like, hmm, the Red Wings are down their three most productive forwards, uh, Larkin, Bertuzzi, and Verona. And that's going to be a bad, bad time. So very fortunate that Larkin stayed in. The rest of the Red Wings production came by way of a Olimata shot that was expertly redirected in by Dominic Kubelik. And then the collapse happened. Um, Kurashev scored uh, pretty early in the third and then halfway through the period Connor Murphy scored uh, shorthanded which you know the power play was rough as is especially that night but the shorthanded goal was killer and I think for an altogether just right down the middle solid game nothing absolutely spectacular nothing terrible I think Ned would want at least one of those back but Another thing that that really jumps out for me is there's a new line that game, and that was Zadina, Kopp, and Raymond. And that was the line to watch because, A, you know, Kopp has two players, one that was really productive last season and one that is notoriously unproductive despite opportunities generated. And this is a top six that's now shaken up and missing Bertuzzi and Verona. So I was like, Kopp is going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting here. Raymond has a big test to see how he does away from Larkin. And Zadina, like we said last episode, his this is his opportunity in the top six. It's, call me dramatic now or never, if he's going to do it uh, to, to cement himself as a potential top six player. And it was, I think that entire line's night was a microcosm of Philip Zadina in some ways. You know, they gener- I, I think actually in terms of, you know, on ice impacts at five on five, that was Detroit's best line in terms of generating the chances. But my God, when it came to actually converting, so, you know, the stuff that matters, nothing, nothing. It was, you know, three on one and and uh, Zadina makes the wrong, pl- or shoots on a three on one when you can't pay him to shoot when he should at other times. Uh, Raymond's whiff in overtime where he bobbled the puck and it led to Max Domi's goal. Uh, Zadina's like partial break where, I know it looked fast, and it looked like that's all he could do against Stalock. But if you watch that on replay, he deked before Stalock even moved. Like he or he, he deked kind of into Stalock's movement, and he had time and space for another move. But he's just so in his own head that the finish is just not there. There's no finish to his game. That's where we are with him. No finish, no luck is a bad com- uh, combo. And before anyone gets too upset about that, it's not. Bad luck isn't leading to the lack of production. It's the lack of finish, that is. So it's like, yeah, there's some pretty big mistakes and some pretty big misses, but the line altogether was not bad. It was weird. But when you look at how the Red Wings lost, of course you can't be giving up the 3-1, the 3-1 lead going to the third, but you also need to be capitalizing on those opportunities. So it's it's a like a Jekyll and Hyde with that line that game.
1: Yeah, I think I saw a stat that um, Zadina had the fewest shot attempts against of any Red Wings players that night. And um, obviously they were driving a good amount of offense and he had zero points to show it, which I think that equates the most Philip Zadina game uh, Philip Zadina has ever played. And, you know, I think people equate when we say, you know, no finish, but a good player with bad luck, which is not the point we're making at all. We're saying he has bad finish because he has bad finish.
0: Yeah,
1: He can't aim a puck and his dekes are useless. He does everything. And this season, in the games he has played, only back have backed up what we've said last year. He is a really good, useful hockey player until he gets within
0: 20 feet of the net. And like, then there's a good argument to say how the, then does it matter at that point?
1: Yeah, well, because it's kind of the catch-22. Remember how I said he had the fewest shot attempts against mm-hmm. while he was on the ice? Well, the beauty, at least, of having the puck a lot and not scoring when you have it means you have the puck a lot. It means the other team doesn't have it. The best way to prevent the opposition from scoring is you have the puck. So even if he is out there buzzing around the offensive zone all game and has nothing to show for it, generally speaking, the other team also has nothing to show for it. So, you know, at worst right now, he's a net even. <laughs> You know, so it's kind of the catch-22. Do I think Phillips Dean is ever going to be a good finisher? No. At this point, I'm past that. There's too many habits. There's too many signs. There's too many things that we've been watching for three years going, he's just not going to fix that. Could he use some more luck? Yeah. Look at Pew Suter's goal. He was just skating in an area, and it hit his foot and went in. Like, insofar as every player could use some more yeah. luck. Those type of fluky... Holy hell, how did you get that goals? Happen all the time in the NHL. Every day. A bunch of them. I don't think Philip Zina has ever had one. Like not recently. His bad luck is not the reason he's not scoring, but he sure as hell doesn't ha- doesn't have good luck like
0: the universe is not on his side for trying to help him break out of the slumps that he gets in. I'm a big believer in you create your own luck. Like and I don't mean like in a mystic kind of way you put that out into the universe that's not the kind of person I am. I mean there's nuance to it and it's really hard to articulate but you just do certain things right and you do them consistently and you just continuously improve in in small ways that aren't so easily defined into words. And you put yourself into position to capitalize on those things. And I'm not saying, you know, Pew Suter the other game had that magic juice and knows some secret that Phillips Adina doesn't. Not at all. Um, But like I said, just it was tough to watch because as you stated, Brad, so many things going right within 20 uh, until they get within 20 feet of the net. And then it kind of washes away. And in my opinion, I'm watching this like, you know, I'm not going to have a final verdict on this until uh, he gets pushed back out of the top six when when Bertuzzi gets healthy or uh, if Verona returns. Um, but it's not trending well. If those are the things that if if that's how this is going to go, it's also important for the Red Wings because they have Raymond, who's really going through it right now in terms of figuring out his game in his sophomore season. Teams have tape on him; they know how to play him a lot more effectively than they did last season, and you know. At points, they're going to pull him away from Larkin. We've seen that. So he needs to be able to adapt that. And having a full cohort of effective line mates is more important for the Red Wings. I should say elevating Lucas Raymond is more important for the Red Wings than, you know, quote unquote, figuring out Phillips Adina. You're right, Brad. We're getting pretty much into he is what he is territory. Um, We're going to see how that goes. It's a heated argument. But at this point, it's kind of like, I don't know if anyone has seen uh, community and there's a scene where Britta, I think, is yelling about, uh, she's protesting oil and someone walks up to her and goes, no one's on the other side of this argument. Why are you yelling? I think anyone with eyes can see, you know, Philip Zedina's woes are on Philip Zedina right now. And he can do a million things right, but there are certain things that need to go right and he's just not doing it. So until he fixes it, we can beg for luck all day. We can beg for a lucky break. We can beg for, you know, fortunate bounces or whatever. The solution has to come from Phillips Adida.
1: Yeah. Luck brings you from 15 goals
0: to 18 goals. You still have to get the 15 goals your damn self. (laughs) And right now he can't. (laughs) No. Uh, The Red Wings ended up losing that game again. It was uh, Lucas Raymond bad bobble. And I think the final point I want to make about that game is, like I said before, that hurt. That hurt to see Max Domi who got a offsetting roughing penalties uh, against uh, Michael Rasmussen earlier in the game when he dropped his gloves and started just punching him in the face. I hate when the refs do that. Anyways, like that hurt. It hurt to lose to Chicago. It hurt to blow a lead to them. It hurt to not you know beat them in their home opener. And that sucked as a Red Wings fan and obviously for the Red Wings. But it's good to be in that position again. And all I thought after that game the next day was Detroit really needs to come out hot on Sunday. It's still early in the season. And, you know, it's not like it's going to make or break their season or anything, but coming into that game, they're 2-0-2. So still undefeated in regulation, but by all rights, a 500 team in my mind, they need to make sure that they don't let the woes of that game define them. Otherwise, we're getting into the habits that you started. Uh, You talked about um, at the, the top of the episode, Brad, and then they played the Anaheim game. Just wrapped up. They played uh, 5 Eastern on Sunday. We're recording right after it, and man, what a different result. That was a team that took it to Anaheim, capitalized when they needed to capitalize, turned around their their power play, their penalty kill remained perfect, and the Red Wings end up with a 5-1 win at home. How different of a Red Wings team did we see?
1: A team that did what they need to do. They had a a struggling team at the end of a road trip, At home. Not only if you want to be a good team in this league, should you win that game, you should speed bag them. And the Red Wings speed them. At no point in this game did Anaheim look like they belonged on the same ice. Now, a lot of this was the Red Wings being great and a lot of this was the Ducks just looked horrible. They were at the end of a long road trip too. I think it was the fifth game of a five game road trip. So that's, like I said... You can only play your schedule, and the Red Wings were at home with a struggling team at the end of a long road trip. You need to dummy that team. Yeah. And the Red Wings did. You know, it's the big saying in the NFL all the time. Hey, you can only play your schedule. The Red Wings have not had a difficult five games to start their season. You can only play your schedule. The schedule is going to get harder, so you need to start padding the points and stockpiling the points now Because you know you're going to need them when you get that run later in the year where you have Toronto, Florida, and Boston all in the same week. They've collected points in every game. Three of them wins. You know, one of the OT losses was to the LA Kings, a playoff team who is expected to be better this year. So, you know, you you collect a point off them. It's not a bad game. And then, yeah, uh, what did the Red Wings have looked What looked out of place for the Red Wings today? I would argue nothing. They had everything working. Husso looked great. Anaheim could not get anything going offensively at 5-on-5. The Red Wings, tons of pressure offensively at 5-on-5. Penalty kill, perfect. Power play, dominant. There was no weaknesses to this game. It was a complete 60-minute shit-kicking.
0: The... I don't know if that was a performance enough to have the Red Wings beat, you know, an upper echelon team in this league. Like, I don't know if that's enough to beat a Colorado or a Tampa Bay or whoever, but that was certainly the performance they needed to beat Anaheim. And that's what it boils down to. You know, they didn't do what they needed to do to beat Chicago, who should be a bottom feeder this season. And they, they came out. And like you said, Brad, they did everything that they needed to do. Right. It wasn't a perfect game. I thought they could have done, you know, a few things a bit better at, but by all means they when it came to you know let's call it that within the 20 feet of the net they converted and that's what matters. Dylan Larkin opened the scoring uh off of a Kubalik rebound right place right time. David Perron added from his office on that left side and man his shot is heating up. Like his power play goal from that left side, I have a feeling we're going to be seeing quite a bit of that quite a bit of this and that's what they brought Perron in for. It's not really known to be a 5 on 5 phenom but He's going to be effective for your power play. And Detroit's power play was hurting before tonight. Uh, and, you know, he delivered from that left side. So two power play goals to open the game. Uh, Trevor Zegris scored uh, to split those two goals. That was one where I was like, ooh, are we going to see another Chicago game? Because that was a puck that went through or near three Red Wings into the slot. Past Raymond, who was just a bit too far ahead of it. Zidina actually got his stick on it, but not enough where he, like, wasn't able to handle it and couldn't clear it out of the slot. And, like, you have to know that that's Derek Lalonde. That's one of the things Derek Lalonde's like, it's the simple shit like that. Like, just get that out of your game. And then Sherratt wasn't able to sweep the puck away. Um, and then Trevor Zegras scored. Um, but then Joe Valeno in the second period put himself in the right place off of, uh, you know, superstar phenom Adam Ernie, offensive dynamo. That was a really good, actually, drive to the net by Valeno. Like He drove hard to the net, used his strength, and then you made a note of this, Brad. He freed his stick up. It's not an easy thing to do both physically and to have the presence of mind to do it. Like His stick was wrapped up in there, but he got it free and got a stick on the puck, and that's a lot of guys would, would have skated right past the net or too deep or wouldn't have put themselves in the right position. So I really like that. It wasn't a massive play, but it was a nice little thing from Valeno.
1: There are two very subtle things Valeno did on that play that, We'll get you goals in the NHL like he did there. One, like you just mentioned, he free to stick. Two, look at the lane he took on the defenseman covering him. He did not just concede the middle and attempt to go backdoor. He did his absolute damnedest to get between that defenseman and Adam Ernie. So then when that puck came, that puck's getting to Valeno before it's getting to the defender. And then, sure enough... The other defenseman uh, who was attacking Ernie laid out so and, and played that very well, I might add. Um, so Ernie had to wait it out. And when you have to wait it out in that scenario, you have one play, and that's a backhand pass to the front of the net. Or you have to just go around the net and do a lap. Ernie's like, nope, there's traffic in front. I should put it there, which was the right play. And because Valeno took the inside lane and because Valeno freed up his stick easy tap in on an empty net. I shouldn't say easy. He had to bust his ass to get that space, but it hit his stick. He didn't even have to shoot it and it went in. So, you know, those those are the subtle plays that coaches will love. Yeah.
0: I thought Valeno had a much more noticeable game tonight. You know, not the world's best game. It's not probably not the best game he's ever played, but he looked a lot more on tonight. And that feeds into what we know about Valeno, which is just usually isn't right hot right off to start, but, uh, if he gets into a rhythm, he can be pretty effective. His skating was on display tonight. Man, he's a great skater. Yeah, the Red Wings, by and large, aren't a great skating
1: team, so it makes the guys like Valeno, A, more noticeable, and B, more important.
0: Yeah. Uh The, the Red Wings um ended up obviously taking it 5-1. In the middle there, there's a, a shift where Ben Sherratt just kind of dummied two different ducks into the boards. He's a bully, and not like... Oh, he's a bully, but he's clean. Like, no, he'll he'll sh- give you a shot from behind. He'll cross-check you. He'll, you know, punch you while you're in front of the net, whatever it might be. Some of it's clean, some of it's not. That's the edge Detroit needs. Yeah, I wish Evan was here looking like a milk bag in the seat that I'm sitting in right now because he preached all last season. The Red Wings are getting dominated, pushed around in front of their own net. I won't forget it was an opposing player on a game where they were routing the Red Wings you know, poked at the goalie, shoved another defenseman, and then kind of skated right up and got in Valeno's face. And it's like, it was Valeno and five opponents. And it's like, guys, clear the damn net. Like, support your goalie. Holy shit. It's got to feel way better for the for Ned and uh, Huso to have Sherrod there. So really big, uh, really big impact that he's making. And then, uh, obviously, Kubelik was the one to um, to score again. He ended up having a three-point night. Uh, It was an excellent feed by Sunquist, and Kublik was automatic on the one-timer. Just really, really a great night for him. And what a start to the season. Like he has been absolutely phenomenal. Eight points through his first five games is absolutely unreal. And among a Red Wings record, the best start to a season in 30 years. Paul Coffey had 10 points in his uh, uh, first ever Red Wings season. So, in his first season with the team, in his uh, first five games, he has eight points, which is f- tied for fourth best with Judd uh, McAtee, Kent Douglas, Danny Grant, and Murray Armstrong. I'm talking the 40s, the 60s, the 70s, and the 40s. Oh, sorry. And uh, Len Fontaine in the 70s, and Garnett Bailey in the 70s, and Sid Howe, actually, in the 30s. You made up at least three quarters of those names. Yeah. People will recognize Sid Howe, but you know, maybe not much else. Dutch rival, nine points in his first five games. Ed Litzenberger nine points in his first five games. Those are the fifties and sixties, respectively. Paul Coffey in 92, 93. So the first time in 30 years that anyone has had to start this good, uh, Kubelik, or Paul Coffey had 10 points. So Kubelik with eight, he has been such an effective force in so many ways, generating chances, you know, shots that turn into rebounds, finding players in the slot. He's done that more than once. His one-timer, his shot has been excellent. It's a little bit like that Gordon Ramsay meme where it's like uh, one player messes up. He's like, you absolute donkey, you stupid idiot. Like, yeah, how could you screw this up? And that's, uh, you know, whichever player on the Red Wings, call it Sadina, He's a whipping boy for the fan base this year, it seems. And then Kubelik is like, can do no wrong. But actually, Kubelik can do no wrong right now. He's been fantastic. A three-point night for him. I wouldn't be surprised if this holds for the season and we're looking at Kublik as the sneaky best addition that Eisenman made all offseason. How did Chicago let this guy go? First of all, thanks, Chicago. Um,
1: Second time you've gifted us a good player for nothing. One of the big talking points we had for the last handful of seasons was just how the Red Wings offense struggled, especially the power play, because they had nobody who could shoot the puck at an elite level. None. Zero. Nobody. Not one. For as good as Lucas Raymond's shot is and for how much Dylan Larkin improved his shot, they were not the type of guys who could shoot from the OV spot and score or create enough chaos to get rebounds, to get tips. When Verona got healthy, they got one. But not to the same thing. Verona's was more of a catch and release. Um, Kublik's that guy. He has that shot. He can wind up from anywhere in the offensive zone at any point. And not only will he have a chance of scoring on that shot, even in some of the lower percentage areas. I mean, they're not going to go in most of the time, hence low percentage. But it's hard enough that it's, you know, it puts the thought in the goalie's head. It's such a wicked shot, it creates chaos. The goalie's not going to hold it you know if he's shooting it through traffic if that thing even deflects a little bit nobody's tracking it so you see him doing that a lot you get him with players who can get him the puck i mean we talked about the power play d- d- dynamic for years where like you just need guys opposite each other who have who shoot left and right who can complement each other doesn't that look like exactly what Peron and Kubalik are doing here you got guys who can shoot from both sides and both are willing to pull the trigger constantly Yeah, and how did they score their three power play goals today Kubelik shot Larkin rebound Peron one timer Kubelik one timer it's almost like that formula is so simple it
0: works hence why every other team goes out and gets shooters who can do it, it we're not talking about Red Wings anymore where it's like uh, this guy's you know left handed but can we move him to the right side and can he be effective there or You know, this is a player who wasn't effective from the right side. Maybe we can unlock something if we move him to the left. Or this is a centerman that's being asked to do all three roles in the offensive zone. There are big question marks with, of course, I know people still have them. How much was it smart to add to this team? But, man, we're talking about a team now where, without Bertruzzi and Verona and Raymond struggling, they have shooters who are still putting the puck in the net. That's important. You the end of the day it doesn't matter what you know analytics say it doesn't matter what you know defensive purists like myself will say none of that like you need to put pucks in the net it's the simplest thing all those other things that i mentioned lead to that but you need to have shooters so it's a bit of a breath of fresh air the uh, the Red Wings continued the game. Soderblom actually picked up a goal uh, off of a rush similar to Valeno, put himself in the right spot off of a uh, Rasmussen chance. The Red Wings ended up winning 5-1. It was a great game from Huso, like you mentioned. I thought he was solid, made a couple key saves um, that were really underappreciated, and uh, that was an important one. F- three power play goals. That was the first time they've done that in five years, I believe it was. And this is a stat from uh, Prashanth Iyer. The Red Wings have recorded a point in each of their first five games for the first time since 2011-2012. More than 10 years on that one. And the Red Wings have scored three or more goals in regulation in five straight games for the first time since uh, March, late March, early April of 2019.
1: That was the um, Larkin-Mantha-Bertuzzi heater, wasn't it, that bumped us up a few spots in the draft?
0: Probably. <laughs> I'm like, I don't need to look at dates like I just can feel that one in my bones. <laughs> so that's big. Detroit remains undefeated in regulation. They're sitting at a uh, 3 and 2 record with eight points, which is still only good for fourth in the Atlantic behind uh, behemoths such as Buffalo. Uh, but no, it, it's um, after the Chicago game, that was important. It was an important game for the Red Wings to have. There are a lot more storylines to come. I think we really need to focus in on how does Raymond do I, It might be crass, but I don't really care about the whole wales Adina stick in the top six thing. We heard my opinion last episode. I don't have a lot of hope for it, and I don't really see it as worthwhile to just continue and talk endlessly about something that's likely not going to transpire because we haven't seen it. But the real storyline is how is Raymond going to fare as injuries come through? We already have two big uh, holes in the top six. He needs to find his game. And to a degree, Mo Sider tonight just got his first point of the year. When his when's his offensive game gonna turn on? It's not like they've both been bad, not by any means. Sider's had his you know solid defensive uh, attributes. A <laughs> right, quick moment today, I think as Emily Kaplan was telling a story on the broadcast, it was really funny. She was telling a story that Mo Sider kept skating by the Ducks bench and going, "Wow, wow, wow!" You cry about everything, calling them babies, and then in the background, people actually didn't even hear the story because in the background, uh, Ned taped. Uh, put a big piece of tape on his blocker and wrote, hi, mom, on it. <laughs> <laughs> this goofy-ass team. <laughs> How do
1: you not love him? Well, love that. You know, not often the backup is a bigger... Who doesn't play is the bigger story than the starter, but Ned found a way. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny, too, because, you know, Mo just giving it to the Ducks bench is great considering in that period there was a scrum. I fr- I can't remember what led to it, but... I guess Mo didn't like what happened, so he just came in and decided to, um, I don't know what the proper term is, humiliate Frank Fruchano and just knocked him over with uh, ease. And then not one Duck player even looked at him. Punk tested him. He got a penalty, mind you. He got a penalty, but he put the Ducks through the punk test and they failed
0: miserably. Right in front of the Ducks bench, too. The whole bench is there, man. They're gassed. They're like five game road trip. Yeah. They're down three hours on sleep. They're like, "Let me, dude. Can I just go home to California, please?" Sider walks in, <laughs> and then dumps, uh, lays a pretty
1: dirty hit on Vetrano. There, think one guy, one, nothing. Mo skates off to the penalty box like it's just a
0: casual fall day. So after that game, the Red Wings power play went from, I think. 12 and around 12 and a half percent and then they ended up scoring one two three power play goals and they have moved up well they actually they still have a perfect pk percentage and they moved up into kind of a the acceptable range for power play percentage uh their pk percentage they are 17 for 17 they're still perfect to start the season uh and their power play percentage they moved into i think the top 15 god i love small sample size math Twenty, Yeah, they're 15th at 23.8%. So they're tied for 15th in the NHL. Um, they need to make sure that they have more games like tonight. The penalty kill has been carrying this team in a lot of ways, which is a bizarre, bizarre, bizarre thing to say. It allows most to go punk test teams. But genuinely... You remove that three, like you said, small sample size. You remove that three power play goal game. The Red Wings aren't sitting at 15th in the league. They're sitting among the bottom of that power play. So they need to make sure that they continue to be effective. They have the tools to do it. Larkin's been effective. Perron has been effective. Kubelik has been generating chances and has been a th- scoring threat on the power play. But it needs to it needs to stay that way because it did not look good against Chicago and prior. Uh, but yeah, the, the penalty kill. 17 for 17 to open the year. I think it's 26 was their record. Prashant was talking about it. 26, yeah. Uh, Franchise record. 26 consecutive penalties killed to start a season. Nine more would be great. Ten more would be great. Let's set a record. And weren't the Red Wings 32nd in the
1: league on the PK last year, if not really close to it? Wasn't good. I'll tell you that. I watched it.
0: it. Sucked. And then 17 to 17. Yeah. Who knew that special teams would be the story Of this game, but also the Red Wings season, and the highlight of that would be the penalty kill. Much, much, much credit to that very aggressive penalty kill that Derek Lalonde is rolling out. It's a breath of fresh air. They had to try something different. It was like tepid before that.
1: It's one of the few times the fan base was right because the number of times I would see people just screaming on Twitter, Will somebody please move?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Penalty kill and power play. Yeah. There's no movement on either. They're at least doing something now. It's just like the aggressive penalty kill is actually like that's, that's a different strategy and it's not, you won't see that everywhere, but on the power play, it's like, no, every effective power play has to have movement. And if it's not going to be moving feet, you need to be able to move the puck fast. And the Red Wings certainly don't have tic-tac-toe passers all across the lineup, or at least not last season. So breath of fresh air. We'll, uh, we'll see if the Red Wings are able to maintain their pace that they showed against the ducks. I don't know. Probably not sustainable sustainable to be scoring three power play goals every game, but it was a, a good 180 from before. And the Red Wings have one game between now and our next episode. It's Tuesday night against the Devils, also at home. Uh, and then we'll be talking to you Wednesday night on our next recording. The Devils, who have been very good early this year. If they get goaltending, they have shown that to be a good team. So. I viewed that as another playoff level team test for the Red Wings.
1: Yeah, because the Red Wings beat them once already this year, but the Red Wings
0: were not the better team. No, that No, I agree; they were not the better team. All right, Brad, you want to talk about a jersey? Not really. Adidas re- revealed their uh, their newest rendition of the once tried reverse retro jerseys, where the uh, the concept is to take an old or old elements from old jerseys and switch it up a little bit. The Red Wings went with the barber pole and not inverted the colors, but kind of inverted the colors. What was white is now red. And what was red, the bars are now black. Yes, a black element, black on a Red Wings jersey. And I promise you when I picked, when we were picking the colors for the studio, We did not have this information yet, so that was just a fun happenstance. Um, Very polarizing. Polarizing across this table.
1: Based on the reactions I was seeing on Twitter, I don't think it was very polarizing. Uh, It looked like a heavy majority uh, was on the dislike side of it.
0: I think it was really cool of the Red Wings to make a jersey to match our special winged wheel podcast, uh, Mickey Redmond Flannels. I deeply appreciate that yeah. too. Yeah. Which we are giving two away to uh um a couple of the ticket random ticket buyers for Winged Wheel Podcast tonight at the LCA, by the way. Uh first of all, can I open? Because I know I know you're by, more passionate about by this. all means, Ryan. We all know how the last Red Wings reverse retro went. It was a terrible jersey.
1: It, that that screamed, We don't care to be here, so we're not gonna try.
0: And I don't even know if that was the Red Wings so much as Adidas. Like I, I, I don't know. Every team has a different dynamic and I don't want to pretend to know how much design thought went into it.
1: So I actually listened to a podcast this week, um, with the head of Adidas involved in this program. And it sounds like it is a pretty heavy collaboration that is led by Adidas.
0: Yeah. Okay. That, that's the impression that I got. So the last one was atrocious and it was atrocious because a, it wasn't, it didn't fit the design elements of like the, the whole program they were putting together it didn't look good. And it was just nothing. It was bland. It was a blank slate. Like the the Centennial Classic that's hanging above your head, Brad. I remember when that came out, I was like, I don't really love this. It seems plain. But then the silver elements really grew on me. And I really love that jersey now. Um, this, the the previous reverse retro, I still don't like it. Yeah, simple can work. That one didn't. The Red Wings this time, in my mind, they tried something. And- Absolutely, they did. And I'm going to come at this by saying when it was launched, I had the luxury of having, you know, seen it before um, and knew what it was going to look like. And I had already processed that in my mind. So that's probably why I there was no like big reaction one way or another for me. Is it the exact jersey that I and a lot of other people I think you are clamoring for? No, but that also I kind of expected it because reverse retro doesn't always mean take just some just take something old and make a plain switch to it and then. You know, ta da! You have this. They were always going to try something a little wild. They generally go for more fashion type jerseys. Like I, I think that's really what Adidas was going for here. And you don't have to like it, but this is it was in the realm of what I was expecting. I was surprised that they they pulled the trigger on black. Is it the my dream Red Wings jersey? No, I like it though. I don't I don't think it's bad. I don't mind the black at all. They don't they're not going to wear it for like forty games. Wearing it for 10, 10 games, which is actually, you know, more than I thought they would be, but I don't mind over 10% of the season. I don't mind it at all. I also think it was hurt because Adidas insisted on launching all of them at once. And they launched them with these videos with like washed out colors. So the red looked like a dull orange and they had these models who didn't know how to hold their arms and they very obviously never wore a hockey jersey in their lives But then when you saw the full kit with Larkin, it actually looked much better on Larkin with proper colors once the Red Wings media team was able to launch it themselves. I'm looking at this compared to the previous reverse retro and not like the dream mockups that the rest of the fandom has. I like it. I think it's fine. I, I think it's cool. I'd probably rock one. Okay. Let me explain in great detail all the reasons you're wrong. Uh, (laughs) It's the usual episode of this podcast.
1: No, no. no. I understand like these jerseys are an aesthetic preference thing. So I, I don't begrudge anybody who likes or dislikes anything fashion related outside of hockey gear, in which case there are very strict rules to abide by as a chief gatekeeper on that one. But, um... I don't think it's a fashion jersey. I don't think that's what they're going for, because with a lot of the retro reverses, they got really
0: damn goofy with a lot of them. Like, they went... Man, Florida's are so good. They are so sick. I love them. That's got to be their... They, I, I know that the logo isn't a Panther, but make that your primary jersey. Yeah,
1: I. it's phenomenal. Boston and the Islanders leaning into the Gortons fishermen and bringing back Winnie the Pooh. Those aren't good jerseys. They're Fun jerseys and people can get behind fun. Um, And, you know, I appreciate the Red Wings this year tried something like do not. I do not want that to get lost in every year. Last year had huge vibes of we don't want to participate in this. So we're doing the bare minimum. This is the opposite of that. They definitely went for something here and I can respect that. You know, if if I took every circumstance in the world out of this and I just objective and I just looked at that Dylan Larkin picture in his uniform and, and factored nothing else in, it's okay. I still don't love the jersey. I don't think it the black fully works with the red in that scenario, but it's okay. But here's the thing. Chicago's retroversed is damn near the same jersey. Like, not only do I think ch- Detroit's looks better. I agree, but they're basically functionally the same damn jersey. Chicago has a history of black and red barber poles in their. Th- it's not even like it's just like some random team the Red Wings don't have any connection to. It's one of their biggest damn rivals. So that drove me nuts. But the big thing with this is they listened, and I know ev- they listened because the fan base, myself included, had been screaming since the first news dropped of the reverse retro program. And hell, even before that, because people just wanted a third jersey, give us the damn red barber pole. Take the, when the retroverse saw, we said, oh, we have these historic white barber poles that everybody loves. Flip the colors on those, and these things are going to be perfect. This is exactly what everybody wants they will be universally loved, grand slam, home run, enjoy all the money you're going to make off the billions of jerseys you're going to sell. And they didn't
0: listen. They overthought it. And I, again, I appreciate, I I genuinely think this is the Adidas thing coming into it I,
1: I agree. I agree yeah. fully. I don't think this is coming from the Detroit end of things. The Red Wings didn't need to put their foot down because of any historic tradition, BS or something like that. They should have put their foot Foot down because, again, for years, every fan of the Red Wings was screaming for this. Like, don't overthink it. Give the people what they want. And they just didn't. And, you know, when I I forget who it was, I think it was Peter that posted, here's what it should have looked like. And he photoshopped the blackout and turned it into white and put that picture of Larkin up. And it was perfect. It was beautiful. The response to that was everybody was like, yes. Yes. This was it. So, again, do I love the jersey? No, by itself. Do I hate it? No. Like, it's it's fine. It just looks like a jersey of their rivals, and they didn't listen to what their own fans wanted.
0: I am doing the probably stupid tall task of, I'm putting all of the, you know, looking similar to Chicago, knowing what other things it could have been all that out of my head. And I'm just enjoying that the Red Wings have anything different, but I also respect that that's a two-sided coin. I'm saying, well, God, I'm glad we get any different kind of Red Wings jerseys because it's been a million years since our last outdoor game or winter classic or whatever. But the rest of the fans are saying, and you included are saying it's been a million years since our last outdoor game in special Jersey. And this is our first time doing it. And we get something that is decidedly different than all these million other things that could have been great. You want to know what I think the solution is? Get a third jersey. I agree. I agree. Like- Get a third jersey, and I, you have to know if there's a third jersey. It is not going to be, you know, this company that's on their way out from supporting NHL uh, jerseys, which Adidas has this season and next, uh, and where they just want to sell a bunch of fashion jerseys. Um, it is hopefully going to be a company that's going to respect, like, want to work with, like, the tradition of the Red Wings. Think about what the Winnipeg Jets did. They didn't overthink it. They went to their old jerseys when they uh, when they could, and they've had a million different variations of their classic Jets logo, and they've all been stellar for the most part. Um, I think if the Red Wings have a third jersey, it can make ones like this way more palatable. Because imagine the Red Wings have the inverted part barber pole for the third, or the either of these winter classics for a third. I don't think there would be that many complaints for a way out there jersey as a like, uh, special edition reverse retro or you know, um, whatever outdoor game that isn't a winter classic, then you can get a lot more funky with it. I think it's that you're just missing that element of the Red Wings never get different jerseys. So they went funky with this one and everyone's like, <laughs> come on, we have so many good options. Exactly. Like even the 2014 Outdoor one. Could
1: you imagine flipping that? Oh, God. I, a, I a genuinely cre- believe
0: that's the best jersey of all time.
1: Yeah. And if you flip it, how do you think the response would have been? I would have been phenomenal. A cream color Red Wings jersey with a bright red Red Wings logo in the middle with a red Detroit sc- It would have been perfect. Again, and I think that's actually a very, very good point you made. Like, we can get weird after we get it right. They haven't got it right yet. <laughs> Because, again, look at every outdoor. These are the three outdoor jerseys from recent memory here. Amazing, amazing, pretty close to amazing. They didn't overthink it. They went with the tradition. They tinkered with some things, and it was good. When you have a logo and a jersey as historic, beautiful, and universally loved as the Red Wings, the worst thing you can do is overthink it. And the Red Wings overthought this one. Or Adidas overthought this one, I should say. And, again... I've talked on this podcast before in unrelated conversations when people bring up the Red Wings need a black Red Wings jersey. And I've always kind of been like, no, that's not a Red Wings color. It never has been. It doesn't feel like the Red Wings. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then they drop black on this jersey and everybody's immediate reaction is that's a Hawks jersey. Just don't overthink it. That's all I ask.
0: I think the Hawks just saw how sweet the studio looks. <laughs> Never mind that they've done it before. Okay, uh, there's going to be plenty of opinions on the jerseys. I'm sure, uh, and in future, maybe for like Patreon exclusive stuff, we'll talk and about the other ones and rank them. But man, some of them are a lot of fun. I really love Florida's, and like you said, I, I love the uh, the Winnie the Pooh bear. Um, okay, uh, some other stories around the NHL. Vancouver. <clears throat> Speaking of 1920 Detroit Red Wings. JT Miller looks and I think it's important to understand that, you know, I use this term knowing how heavy it is. Terrible. Like he looks he looks like a guy who is scaring the absolute shit of the GM who just signed that long-term contract that hasn't even kicked in with him. Listen, we've all sat on this podcast
1: and heavily advocated for you do not give 29 and 30 year olds. Eight-year expensive deals because eventually they're going to look horrible. With JT Millers, we knew this contract was going to be bad, real bad one day.
0: We didn't expect it within two weeks. We thought like I was thinking years. like
1: four or five years.
0: <laughs> it's early. You have to imagine a player of his caliber is going to turn it around, but Vancouver's not a low-drama team. Let's put it lightly you know, Toronto obviously takes the cake for drama within the hockey universe and in Canadian hockey universe, especially, but a underrated contender, I think Vancouver, I mean, they've, they have a reputation for it, to put it lightly, uh, of, of the dramatics and they're going to have to figure this out because they are locked into some paths, let's say. So I'm going to make a
1: comparison here to you. And I I want you to know if I'm, Oh my God, this is going to be the best transition I've ever had. If I'm off base here, almost unlocking a secret base. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Because Will from Secret Base sent me a really funny DM. Um, but unrelated to that, a couple of days later, they put out um, a secret base video on YouTube about the collapse of the 2017 yeah. Ottawa centers. And I... Even if you don't like the sense, go watch the video. Phenomenal it video. Really because well done, yeah. I truly forgot how absolutely dysfunctional and chaotic Ottawa got after there. Like, it was the shit show of all shit shows in the NHL outside of, like,
0: you know, the Hawks. And we're just still seeing, like, that is just, like, tapered off now. Yeah, and that, this started five years ago.
1: Man, the recipe for Vancouver is there. You've got the crazy owners... The diehard fan base, Canadian market, marquee players, polarizing players, you know, early in the season, it's going off the rails. I'm just saying something needs to happen there because even their coach, Bruce Boos, he is, <laughs> I feel for that guy. You, have you watched his postgame mm-hmm. pressers? Yeah. He has nothing. Yeah. He has no idea what to do, what to say. His his quote last game, he goes, I don't understand how you play this bad all year and then have a phenomenal second period like that and then just come out and not care in the third period. And then he made a reference to the press. He's like, I'm seeing what you're seeing. Just they essentially referring to the fact that they do not care. They are not trying. They are, man, when a coach, your head coach is saying that. He's, his runway is getting short, man. Man, I don't even think it's his fault, but if your coach has lost the room that badly, six games into a season where they were expecting to make the playoffs, you don't sign JT Miller to that money if you don't think your cup window's about to open. And now Jim Rutherford's openly talking about this might be the start of a rebuild. Oh, man. Like I said, this could get Ottawa Senators' levels of bad fast if something doesn't change.
0: Well, yeah, podcasts like this to talk about picking up the parts. Give me one Quinn Hughes, please. I'll take uh, the Elias Pettersson. Thank you. Not that, you know, I think Huso's been great and, and Ned's also been really good, uh, but I'll take a Thatcher Demko. Not the way he's been playing. Yeah,
1: uh, he'll get it together. I have yeah. faith in that- Thatcher Demko. Uh,
0: another, some other points. This is much delayed. The statistic has has got, changed since then. But Connor Bedard's first ten games in the WHL the season: nine goals, ten assists, one hundred and forty shot attempts, seventy shots on goal. And that was that's an old stat. So God knows how that's changed. Has no bearing on us. Nope, <laughs> not anymore. Jacki. <laughs> uh, oh man, is this a fun story? His, yeah, you know, we don't have a lot of time to get too into it, but he watching him beat the pulp out of uh Zach Cassian and they asked him later, uh, how the fight started. He said, I was smiling at him on the face off and he asked me what I was laughing about, and I said, You. <laughs> <laughs> he gave me a shot, uh, I asked him if he wanted one, he said, Sure. Uh, and then, uh, they asked him if, uh, Cassian said anything after all he said was good fight. <laughs> Probably all he could muster. He beat the piss out of him. He ragged all them at the end of it. He, and like the absolute animal instinct when he saw Zach Cassian getting set up and, and his teammates told him like, Zach Cassian's a very good technical fighter? And he is, I think it was, uh, I think him and Giovanni Smith went at it and, and Cassian is too good of a fighter. Or maybe that was Lucic anyways. Um, and what did Jack I do? He basically ran at him. So he couldn't get set, and it was just like everyone's eyes got wide and went, holy shit. I sent it in our group chat with yep. me, you, and Evan. Yep. We don't we see each other so much. That is not a lively group chat. Like, that group chat is for administrative purposes mostly. And we were all just like, oh, my God. And then Slavkovsky and his manic like celebration when he scored his goal and he was yelling in, who uh, was it, Brown? Josh Brown, I believe. His like eyes wide, like screaming at him. I was like, is Montreal fun? What's going on over there?
1: This is how you get through a rebuild. You have fun stories like this, but you know, as much, I don't know in the States, how much it's been talked about, but I know Arbor Jack got a lot of press in Canada specifically for working at Costco a couple yes. of years ago. People don't understand how truly remarkable his story is. So you get drafted into the OHL up here at 15 years old. So you play your 15 year old year. And then you get drafted, and then ideally you play your 16 year old. You're in the OHL or some feeder team to the OHL. He didn't get drafted. So he went and played in the GOJHL, the GOJ, junior B (laughs) hockey, junior B, not junior A, the GOJ. I have several employees that work for me that play in this league. Do you know where? I tripped over someone who played in the junior B earlier. Do you know where all the players, most of the players, from the goge and up on podcasts in my league <laughs> playing senior a whale shit hockey with me.
0: Half my team is players from the goge. Brad showed me a clip from one of his games earlier. And before you make fun of it, it was a clip worth showing me. Um, And the first thing I said in the clip was, is that you? And He's like, yeah, I was like, I'm really not, I'm not trying to be an asshole here, but you look tiny compared to those guys.
1: The defenseman I was coming down on that one, I'm pretty sure is legit. Six, three, six, four. He was huge. Yeah. Anyways, but, keep going. So like the goge will feed into my whale shit senior A hockey. Arbor Jackeye played one year in the Goge at 16 years old. Signed as a free agent with the Kitchener Rangers. Played that season with the Kitchener Rangers. Played another where he had three points in 59 games. Like, I watched that a ton of Rangers games. He was a non-factor that year. Played another season. Was better, but unspectacular. Missed a season due to COVID. Comes back, is a physical freak, is near a point per game, has a highlight of the year knockout of a guy on Owen Sound, gets traded to Hamilton at the deadline, wins the OHL championship with Hamilton because they were a wagon that year, does not play one game in the AHL, goes straight from the OHL to the NHL. So he went from a senior A feeder league, junior B hockey, to the NHL in four seasons. That is insane. Like, we've yeah. talked on this podcast about how, you know, only the elite of the elite are the guys who ever actually make it. And if you're not the best player on your AAA team by the time you're 15 years old and playing in the OHL at 16 or NCAA, you're you're not making the NHL. That's just stats. 99.9% of guys fit into that category somehow, but everybody says you got to hold on to your dreams because maybe you could be that outlier. That one in a thousand Arbor Jack. is the one in 10,000 like, and the fact that he's endeared himself to an entire fan base, the entire league and everybody loves him. And he's got a great nickname and it's remarkable. I've, Never seen this in my adult life.
0: It is a tall task to ask Red Wings fans to cheer for anything Montreal Canadiens related, unless they're like playing the Leafs or something. Uh, But as long as it's not against the Red Wings, I am a big fan of watching that kid play. Yeah, I mean, you can cheer for a person without cheering for the team. A uh, very quick note here. We talked last episode about how Sebastian Cosa was playing his first AHL game. He won his first AHL game, a 3-2 win over Milwaukee. So Credit to Sebastian Cosa on a solid game. And It looks like they're going to be doing pretty much assignments between Toledo and the ECHL and Grand Rapids and the AHL just to maximize his his starts and opportunities, which I like that. I, I have to say I didn't really know what they were going to do with Cosa this year because they have Bratz from Anoka in Grand Rapids, but I really like that strategy and I I like that they're not afraid to move them around. And I'm sure it's not what he, I I, I don't pretend to know what he likes. Like, I I think it's that back and forth. It's a little crummy, but you can essentially schedule it out if you know what you're doing. If you know that that's what you're doing. All right. Before we get into overtime here, uh, I have a quick note and that is about an event that is going on December 1st. Uh, Thursday, December 1st at 7.30 a.m. You heard that right. 7.30 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. at Motor City Casino in Detroit. Hot Stove Stories with Mickey and Ken. It is to benefit the Jamie Daniels Foundation. It is an event that we are very, very excited for. It's going to feature many special guests. Uh, In addition to Mickey and Ken, it's going to be Chris Draper, Chris Osgood, Wes McCauley of the the Referees Hot Mic, and Daniel Halloran, um, storied referee. Uh, I'll be do I'll be there doing my best to moderate those legends. Uh, it is going to be a great great time. You get breakfast. You're, there's going to be a Q and A period, and plus there is also a uh, silent auction element. Uh, they have some really really great um, items being being auctioned off. There's going to be live and silent auction. There's going to be a suite to a Red Wings game, uh, including a visit with Ken and Mick in the gondola for four people. A signed cider jersey, Lorcan and Bertuzzi signed game sticks, Uh, Matthews, uh, Austin Matthews home signed jerseys. So if you know any sickos who are uh, Toronto fans like we do, maybe Steve would like that one. Uh, A Sidney Crosby signed game stick. There's going to be a lot of really great stuff there. So uh, get your tickets, foundation.org to get your tickets to the event. And then you can also access the live auction as well. Hoping to see you all there bright and early. 7:30 7:30 a.m. I would uh, hardly get up at the time for the pod, but uh, for this event, it's well, well, well worth it, and it's for a great cause. All right, let's jump into overtime here. Overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is probably bought, brought to you by our Patreon supporters, Patreon.com/slash podcast To join the Dub Dub Club. Uh, In addition to the uh, Patreon-exclusive Discord, uh, you also get an opportunity uh, to enter into a ton of ticket giveaways. We have two tickets to every single Red Wings home game this season, and the vast majority of them are going straight to our patrons. Every home game to start the season has gone to a patron, so that's... I don't know how many tickets that is. Uh, Six, eight, however many uh, tickets to start the year, Uh, and so you can enter into those. You are entered into a lot of other giveaways automatically. You get access to the Patreon exclusive uh, overtimes. So we take some overtime questions on the live show, and then we record a uh, very fun, loosey-goosey, bonus little mini episode right after we're done recording, and you'll have access to all of those. So that and much, much more, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. And that is how the show's heartbeat continues. That's how you support the show. And uh, we thank all of our patrons so, so much. Let's start with a comment from uh Cody Stark who said I saw Prashant's tweet about faceoff issues. Uh, and yes, the Red Wings are sitting among the bottom of the league. I think they're at about a 42 or 44%, 42% overall in face-off effectiveness. And that was boosted by tonight. Tonight they had about 49%. Uh, so they actually improved that. Um, it wasn't looking good before. Uh I was looking at the face-off issues and what side of the ice in hand of the center they've been losing at. I was wondering why more centers don't switch their hands on their stick depending on what side of the ice they're on and or where they need the puck to go on the possible win. Paul Gostad did this often. Paul Gostad, who's traded for a first-round pick. Do I remember that correctly? <laughs> like, I'm going to remember that. That was early years of the podcast. Uh, I've coached it to my players, too. It's highly effective for those who use it. Brad, you're a forward. You're more want to take a face off. What do you think? Yeah,
1: I play center. Um, I think
0: it depends on the player because, you know,
1: I play, shoot right and i'm right hand dominant so my strong hand naturally is on the bottom of my stick i feel like if i switched to if i was on the other side of the ice i would be horrible at it like just the thought of it and trying to envision myself doing it like there's no way um you know there are ways to be effective on your off side where if you're winging it to your strong side but that still involves you know using your dominant hand and really leaning on your stick, you just have to change your angles and time it a bit differently. And, you know, I've had some success with that and I know Sydney Crosby is really effective at that. So you can do it either way versus flipping your hand or not. I don't think I could do it. I don't think it would work well for me, but yeah, if there's a trend where it's becoming a consistent issue for the Red Wings, then you
0: might as well try. Um, okay. This is one from Keenan O'Donohue who says, Hey fellows with the injuries we have and the scare to Dylan. Do you think Stevie will make a trade or pick someone up with NHL experience just as insurance? I just think if someone else gets hurt, it's a lot of pressure on Bergeron to come and play a productive role. Thanks. And see you on the 29th for winged wheel podcast night at the LCA.
1: I don't think he will. And I don't think he has to one. You've got Fabri, Verona and Bertuzzi who are all due back at some point this year Two. If Berggren does have to come up, I don't think he's going to be in a high pressure situation. They have lots of guys who could fill roles above him and they could slot him in on, like, you know, the third line with very low expectations and very sheltered uh, minutes and deployment. So I I, I don't think that's a concern right now at all unless a couple more
0: bodies go down. Ben Height says, rank these players in order of most likely to be traded at the deadline. This is a tough one. Zadina, Bertuzzi, Hronik. In order from most likely? Yeah. Bertuzzi, Zadina, Hronik. There's enough Hronik chatter every single year where I wonder if this isn't the year. I'll say, I'll agree with you though, in the end. As of right now, if if this was the last year for Philip Zadina, or even the second year of his contract, I would say he might get moved out to first, but it's just the first year. But then again, you know, look how Mantha got traded, right? The contract plays so heavily into it. Jeremy Dahl says, "Uh, my lovely wife would like to know what your predictions for Soderblom are, and can you get Brad to pronounce it with his Swedish accent? It was both hysterical and phonetically pleasing. Will you do it, Brad? No. Will you do it on the Patreon exclusive? That's what what it's for. Okay. Um, Predictions?
1: I, I... said you know somewhere around 15 goals 25 to 30 ish points I think is what I was I think that's what I said in the preseason episode of what I was roughly expecting and based on what he's shown so far I don't really have a reason to change that
0: yeah I you know he's I think uh it was pointed out that that line isn't absolutely dominating teams anymore and you know, you don't really have to look forward, You look further than what their strengths and weaknesses are. Right, Brad, you've talked extensively about how the makeup of that line will excel and how teams can exploit it. Um, but they can still be effective and they have been. So, you know, Soderblom's not going to be an 80 point player. But I, as of right now, all he's showing is that he still deserves to be an NHLer. So, uh, my prediction will go so far as he, I hope, and I think he has what it takes to stick on the team. Uh, the climactic line of Ray Parker Jr.'s hit song Ghostbusters, beloved by children worldwide, is Bustin' Makes Me Feel Good. Now I understand the reference from last episode. Thank you, Reed, for that. <laughs> we love our patrons. Uh, I feel like the past couple of games, especially uh, the Ducks and the Hawks, Sunkquist has been quietly having a really solid start to the season, even beyond the obvious nice plays, passes, assists and of course that game winning goal. Brad, feel free to tell me how he's actually nothing special because reasons.
1: No, I I don't think we need to go there. We've seen examples in the past of guys going to new teams getting bigger roles and thriving in that new role, or at least living up to the expectation of the new role. Sundquist is being asked in Detroit to do a lot more offensively than he ever was in St. Louis. And Sundquist isn't going to turn into a 30 goal scorer or be like this huge revelation overnight. But if he's playing in a third line role, third line role with power play minutes and he's consistently producing, yeah, that's just living up to the role. Uh, I mean, Kubelik's another perfect example of it. He's getting a bigger role this year in Detroit than he got with Chicago last year, and look what he's doing with it. Some guys just don't get the opportunity in on other teams, and people put a ceiling on them because they haven't seen them do more than that. You know, it was the whole thing with Verona coming over to Detroit. Oh, he never played above the third line in Washington, but his per sixty numbers were phenomenal. And the early returns in Detroit were, yeah, with a bigger role, he's producing more. So that could absolutely be true for Kubalik and Sunqvist. Um and Olimata. Yeah, and Olimata. So who's not like a new player, but still. Yeah. So I'm not gonna sit here and, and talk down Sundqvist. He's looked good. He definitely has his limitations, but in the role he's been asked to play. He's been living up
0: to it. It's funny because, uh, first of all, I agree. I would never minimize what Sunquist has has done. It's not been the same impact as Kubelik, but I agree with you, Brad. He's he's been really good to start the year for the Red Wings. Think of how many Red Wings over the past seven years, seven and a half years since we started this podcast, haven't had the opportunity to do what Sunquist has done. Because they are third, fourth line players who weren't coming into the season and the Red Wings said, Hey, we need you to play on this third, fourth line, and maybe like elevate this young guy who could be more than this, but right now this is the level he's at. No, it was, hey Justin Abdulkader, hey Darren Helm, play on this top six. Hey Danny DeKaiser, who very obviously doesn't have the skating to be doing this, play on the top pairing. Hey, uh, Luke Glenn Denning, where you're really effective in the bottom six. We now need you to play on the power play or or you know be a center on the top two lines, like. I'm not saying those guys are uh, maligned or, you know, they didn't happily take those roles in more minutes, but this is what we joke about. Like these guys never asked for this and they miss an opportunity to kind of shine in a more sheltered role. Hockey is not all four lines are not created equal in terms of competition, ice time, expectations, what have you. It's a chess game. And, you know, if Sunquist is out there on the first line, I think we'd have a different opinion of how the season's going. Maybe. I don't know. It could be stellar. But yeah, it just makes you it makes you think of how much the Red Wings missed out on opportunities like this by not having a full lineup ahead of them. That's my philosophical th- crap for this episode.
1: Thanks for bearing with me. Ryan's ultimate point. Get rid of the bad players on your team. Acquire good players from other teams. Play them more. Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Subscribe to Patreon for more <laughs> groundbreaking general manager strategies. Um, last one here from Sean O'Toole who says, Hey guys, new patron. Sean, thank you so much for your support. It means the world to us. Says, I absolutely love the pod. I'm a lifetime Wings fan, uh, raised in Mount Morris Township. Shout out. um, Who has lived in Nashville since 95. Simple query. If this team overachieves longer than anyone expects and is in a position to make the last two spots or within range of it for the playoffs, do you think a Chikrin, Raquel, or JT Miller acquisition is something Steve would do? I personally don't. He's always been very measured, just interested in hearing your takes. Again, love the show. And let's go. Red effing Wings. Um one, even if we erase the last 2 weeks
1: from our memories, uh JT Miller hell no. God no, absolutely not. That contract I don't want anything to do with and these last 2 weeks have turned it nuclear. No. Nope. Give us Hoglander and a first to
0: take that contract.
1: Raquel is a winger. I don't think the Red Wings need to add wingers and I don't especially don't think the Red Wings need to pay a premium to add a winger with a lot of dollars attached to him. I think we've talked about it before, and I think I've said Jacob Chikrin does make sense for Detroit, depending on the asking price right now. And again, this is all asterisks, depending on the asking price, because the Red Wings have needs on the left side of the D. They don't have that offensive dynamo on the back end, even though Sider looks like he could be that guy. But you need two of them generally. Yeah, First power play, second power play. And Chikrin's young and cost control for, I think, three more years. So, every box you would need to check in order for should the Red Wings acquire this player, Chikrin checks the box. Direct position of need, direct skill set of need, age within reason for the window, good value contract with term. Now,
0: Arizona's asking for the world.
1: If Arizona comes in two first-round picks and Simon Edmondson, you laugh them out of the room. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two first-round picks and, you know, uh, Marco Casper, absolutely not. No, you're not paying that. But if you want to give up a first-round pick, a good prospect, and a, let's say, good player off the roster, yeah, the Red Wings probably should consider that. You fill in. Those which year the pick is, which prospect it is, which player is—I'm not going to bother getting into those details. But something along those lines, if Arizona is willing to listen to, yeah, the Red Wings should be interested. But if it's anything more than that, I I would
0: side towards no. If they're even in a conversation to be doing this, I will be thrilled. You have no idea how much we are looking forward to not starting our prospect profiles in like January. Yeah, honestly, and with all due respect to Robert Hag, who's been
1: acceptable so far. I'd much prefer that to be Jacob Chikrin.
0: <laughs> yeah, like Hag he- and Lindstrom have been fine. They've been all right. Yeah, you don't notice. They haven't been. They haven't been good. They haven't been terrible. It, like you don't notice them. They're not league average. Fine for their third pairing, no. But in terms of what you expect from them, upgrades. Okay. Uh, we're going to wrap up this episode. Before I do that, I want to do a couple shout outs here. First of all, a much belated happy birthday to uh, Alexander, Alexander or Alexandra. I'm sorry. If uh, you go with the French Canadian pronunciation, Denny. So Alexandra Denny and uh, our good friend Everett Johnson, who uh, had his birthday birthday recently. Everett is a really, really good friend of the show. So uh, happy birthday to you, pal. He is looking jacked. It is a terrible feeling to feel like you're finally getting back in shape after COVID, and then seeing him, and he's just yoked. You're like, oh, damn it, Everett. And then, and then he gives you one of the big Everett hugs, and yeah. it's like, oh, I am small. Yeah, he fi- <laughs> he f- he fit my shoulders were balance. He fixed it. Uh, I also want to shout out a couple of people: Jordan Keller. Uh, and, uh, Andy Molson, if you guys have seen us on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube shorts, uh, those clips are generally put together or actually completely put together by them. Uh, Andy's been crushing it lately, ex- especially so big shout out. Uh, and we're hoping to have a bigger presence on those, uh, forms of social media, whatever. I know Follow it's, us.
1: I know it's working because I work with 45 people who play hockey and they're all young. So they're all on TikTok, and every one of them mentions how often I pop up on
0: their feed now, and yeah. it drives them nuts. Yeah, that's good. We do it specifically to uh, terrorize the people that you know. Uh, okay, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Folks, if you haven't already, slash WWP to get your Winged Wheel Podcast and edit the LCA tickets. Supports a great cause. We're really looking forward to seeing you there. Next episode's on Wednesday. Like to thank all of our listeners, our name level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eve's Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Ground Foundation, Aikfur, Armchair GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver, the number sixty nine crying Ryan, Hannah's banana, Simon Jamathong, Matthew M Rice, Croner's left knee, Ben Hurd, Bingo Bango, a Dodge Durango, Brandon M, Carl pretend and Aluski, Chimmy, Chris Paul, Chris P, or Chris Ball, not Chris Paul, Chris Ball. <laughs> Chris Paul, the NBA player, season High 5, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Elite First Scoring Line, Scott Dork, Sleeve McDyckel, and Bobson Dugnut, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hassam Al-Kassem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nedelkovic, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, RA, Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna, the Unshowered, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, the podcasting couch, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, Adam. I wish I could finish like Ernie, Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landescog, Ben Barron, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Dave W, Disciple of Large, the Prophet of the Towering Behemoth, Philip Zadiz Nuts, James Laporte, Jeffrey Dun Dun Dun, Jeremiah Dobo, JM Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, uh, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Logan Burgos, Matt S. Maximilian, me, Philip Zadina's Confidence in the Flesh, Melissa Erickson, O Ophelia, Papa Woody, the climactic line of Ray Parker Jr.'s hit song Ghostbusters, beloved by children worldwide, is Bustin' Makes Me Feel Good, and Thick Rick. We'll see you Freak's Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at wingedwheelpod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna, WWP, and at Hockey
1: Town Evan.